0: Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor in chief of the
1: Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, John Gentry. John Gentry was born in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, a unicorn we call all natives. Gentry served in the U.S. Marine Corps Force Recon from 1981 to 1990. He earned a bachelor's degree in accounting from the University of Maryland in 1997. Gentry's career experience includes working as a certified public accountant. Now, in the much more rough-and-tumble world of Tennessee politics, he ran for state Senate District 18, where he came up short against Farrell Hale, the Republican, and against the crowded 2020 field for U.S. Senate against Bill Haggerty, albeit as a write-in candidate. Most recently, John went up against Bill Lee for governor of Tennessee, also as an independent. A constitutional Republican, John is conservative-minded, campaigning as an independent due to rampant corruption (laughs) in both parties. He works to restore the voice and power of the people in government by restoring the right of remonstrance. Remonstrance, he's going to explain that. Uh, Hello, John. How are you today? I'm good, sir. How are you today? Doing great. It is probably the most beautiful day I've seen in Tennessee yet today. So it's a thrill. And thanks for coming on and getting indoors with me for a few minutes. I appreciate it. Um, So you say you are not affiliated with either corrupt party. What did you see in your governor's race and Senate race that you'd call corrupt?
2: Well, not so much in the race, but what we see in our courts There is no accountability of judges. They routinely violate the rights of litigants in there with case-steering tactics, ignoring evidence, you know, dog whistle cues between attorneys and judges. And in our legislative houses, we have incredible corruption. And, you know, I think it was 2008, the FBI had the Tennessee Waltz investigation you know, numerous senators, uh, representatives, local officials going going to jail. This is a real problem that we have in Tennessee. Most of the legislation that we see is for corrupt purpose. You know, somebody's benefiting and, and they're getting more power, they're getting more money as a result of this legislation. And so, you know, this is perpetuated by both parties. You know, when you look at the corrupt legislation that's passing. It doesn't pass on party lines. It passes almost unanimously by by 98, 99 representatives in the Tennessee House. And so, you know, it's both parties that are perpetuating this corrupt legislation. There's no accountability, literally zip accountability of high ranking state officials. And I'm the only person that's standing up and providing solutions in my work to restore the right of remonstrance. It's in Article 1, Section 23 of our Tennessee Constitution, and it is literally the solution and the only solution to corruption in government.
1: Do you think um, a system like that, like an election system like that, can even be fixed, where they would be the chickens um, that run the henhouse, so to speak, or the foxes in the henhouse, so to speak?
2: It's, it's actually quite simple to fix, and, and I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't believe that, that we could fix this problem. And what it takes is what we're doing right here, educating the public and teaching them about our state constitution, helping them understand that, that judges holding prohibited offices in agencies like the Code Commission and the Board of Judicial Conduct are repugnant to our Tennessee Constitution in violation of Article 1, Section 30 and in violation of Article 6, Section 7. But the people don't know about these violations because they're not taught our Tennessee Constitution. I mean, literally, Steve, it is not taught at grade school, high school, college. It is not even taught in law school. Hmm. Attorneys, judges are ignorant of the provisions of our state Constitution. And, you know, when we, when we look at our federal constitution and our state constitution, it should be obvious that anybody that understands these documents, it was protection, you know, against what they call tyranny and oppression, which is the same thing as corruption today, in today's words. So that's what those documents were put in place from. And because the people, you know, have become so ignorant, our knowledge oppressed intentionally by government, they're able to get away with these things. So is it getting back to the question? Is it fixable? We have to educate the public and, and cause outrage in them. You know, they're in this, the people are in this coma of, of apathy. You know, if it's not affecting me, I don't care. They're in this coma of distraction, you know, sports, sex on TV, you know, uh, and all of all of the nasty stuff that 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 captures our attention. And the ignorance, you know, it's this coma of apathy, distraction and ignorance. And so, you know, our work is to wake the people up. You know, if, if they're oppressing the rights of one of us, they're oppressing the rights of all of us. And we have got to work continuously to educate the people about what's in the Constitution and why it's important and why they need to stand up for it. And and when that happens, and, and you know, to, today already, I have Tens of thousands of Tennesseans that, that follow my work and, and, and a large share of them actually understand the work that I'm doing. You know, so I'm probably at at about 10% of, of what I need to actually affect the change that we need. You know, so if I keep building this base of people, helping them to understand the Constitution. You know, causing them to be outraged at what's happening in government. We can fix this peacefully and lawfully by asserting the right of remonstrance and holding these guys accountable. In there, it's it's really just a matter of the people standing up and being heard. And I'm I'm not talking about street protests. I abhor street street protests. I despise them. You know, in my opinion, it's like a child throwing a temper tantrum. It is, it is literally not how the framers intended us to protest government. It's done through this right of remonstrance and right of address. And we've got to start standing up for that and expressing outrage to, to legislators like corrupt Speaker Sexton that how dare you oppress this right of the people and, and, and calling out our representatives and senators, why are you allowing Sexton to oppress this right? and when that starts happening these guys are going to get back in line i guarantee it but you know there's no there's no outrage there's no concern Cid- citizenry you know for the most part but i i believe in my heart we're gonna get there, you know. What you're doing here, and 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 the work that I'm doing, it's the same work, you know. It's it's teaching the people, talking. Yeah, about... I was gonna
1: say your episode 127 of very quiet conversations, trying to exactly that, educate and and get the word out that there's not uh, there's something wrong and that it can be fixed. Uh, and like you said, I also d- don't want violence, don't want street protests, don't want bullhorns down in the gallery. I want it to be done what, from an educated standpoint so we can actually be heard and respected. Um, so how does Tennessee do it better or worse? You know, we had the heritage.org survey that many politicians are very proud of that ranked Tennessee uh, first in voter integrity, but even they gave it a B+. So it we're the best of not a very good system, I guess, in America's 50 states. How does Tennessee do it better or worse?
2: I'd say economically, uh, we're doing fantastic in this state, and and you know we're we government is managing you know not not bad, uh, uh, you know we're running out of surplus. It's it's largely because we've had you know so many new people come into the state, so we've had windfall sales tax revenue to the government. But even before that happened, I think you know they were not completely fiscally irresponsible, although there's a lot of, you know, fraud, waste and abuse in, in government spending, but comparatively, you know, to other states, I think, you know, Tennessee is is doing really well with that. And and comparatively, when you look at things like election integrity, you know, we're not doing bad compared to the other states, but, you know, that's like comparing bad to worse. It, when You know, when we look at, at election integrity, you know, what there should be, is is hand-marked hand ballots that are transparent, that these documents are scanned, that they have a code number attached to each ballot that is cast, and they're machine-counted uh, uh, with OCR recognition, and at the same time that they're counted, they're scanned. I mean, we have this technology to, to fast scan documents and load them up to the internet. And people can go look at their control number and say, yeah, my vote's there. And people can go look and count up the votes for each candidate and say, yeah, that's what was reported. You know, without and it's a that- lot
1: cheaper, It's a lot cheaper than the system that they seem hell bent on implementing with the machines. Well, I can,
2: I can tell you, I mean, let's look at, let's look at my gubernatorial race compared to my, my senatorial race. In the, in the Senate race in 2020, I uh, picked up, I think it was about 26,000 votes and 28% of the vote. And that's in, in primarily Sumner County, but it's a portion of Davidson County and, and, and Westmoreland. Now, in my, in my race for governor, I picked up 1% of the vote and, and, and came out with 15,000 votes. Yeah, I, think- I had more votes in the Senate race than I did nationwide i had hundreds of thousands of people you know that were coming through and engaging 99% positive engagement on my social media and you know it just it doesn't seem right you know that you know to have such a disparity like that and so that's where we need you know not just election integrity but we need election transparency where people can go in and look at the control number and count up the votes themselves and i want this you know machine counted but if there's within a certain margin that it's hand counted and hand, hand counted at, at the precinct level and i think if we if we do these things revalidate you know all of the voters that are on there id required at the ballot we're doing we're doing that already uh, but we provide this transparency to it. I really think that that we can get, you know, almost 100 percent secure election integrity, you know, here in Tennessee. So, you know, those are some of the things that we're doing good at. But it's 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 comparing bad to worse. Right. You, know, really.
1: you you ran for uh, on term limits for all state senators, representatives and judges. What benefit to the state would term limits have on those three seats, offices?
2: Well, you know what we have in our in our legislature right now are a bunch of self-interested legislators, and they legislate to their own benefit, and they legislate to the special interests that they represent. They do not represent the voters that elect them. They represent special interests. Almost, I mean, there's a couple good ones. I mean, Bud Halsey. You know, Clay Dog. there's a couple good ones in there that, that really are representing the people, but most of them, most of them are not representing the people in government at all. And, and for the few good ones that we do get in there, you know, talking about how are we going to benefit for term limits, they typically have, you know, like me, I have some, I have some things I'm passionate about that I want to accomplish when I'm in office. But what you have with most people is after they've been in a while, they, they they lose that passion, you know, they got done what they wanted to get done. And so now they're starting to be influenced by special interests. You know, this goes this goes back to I think Plato, you know, uh uh each individual um ruling at a time, and then each and then the citizens' ruling at a later time. What well, I'm saying, you know, each least ruling in their turn, we've got to have turnover, you know, in our legislative houses, so that they don't buy into that to that special interest yeah. influence that they have in there. And I, you know, and I, I mean, looking at like Speaker Sexton oppressing the right of petition, that's because of entrenched politicians in there. I know the rest of them; they wouldn't care if 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 a citizen got in there and, and orally addressed the body, which is a constitutional right we have. I mean, you, Steve, and, and um, you have a constitutional right to orally address the legislative houses. and you didn't know that until you started learning about the work that I'm doing. And I think most of the legislators in there, they're okay with it, you know. They wouldn't mind if a citizen has a proper purpose or grievance, addressing the body for redress or 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 for faith, you know, seeking favor, like sure. election integrity or something like that. So, with these term limits, we can get we can get rid of the entrenched career politicians. And a guy and like uh, that,
1: uh, Lieutenant Governor Randy McDowell has been there since
2: 1974. Thank you. And and when <laughs> you know when we talk about like judges not having term limits. Here's, here's the problem. If you look at the ballots across the state, most judges run unopposed. And here's why. If you, it, to, to run, to be a judge, you have to be an attorney. And, and so if you're an attorney running against a judge, you got to say one of two things. He's not doing a good job or I'm going to do a better job. And how do you think that judge is going to react when that attorney goes back into that courtroom? oh, you just said you can do a better job or I'm not doing a good job. He's not going to do very well in his cases going forward. Right, he's, going to right. have, he's going to have a judge biased against them. So what happens is nobody runs against these guys. They just run, they just get, once they get in there, they're in there forever. When you see you know judges or attorneys running against other t- attorneys for office, it's almost always when a judge has retired or died and so what you end up with is, is, and this is why we have an incredible problem with corruption in our judiciary, is because they run unopposed. So I want term limits. And I, and I, you know, I guaranteed term limits if I were elected as governor. I think I can come pretty close to guaranteeing term limits if I'm elected as a representative, because I'm going to reach out to the people as Representative John Gentry saying, if you will sign this petition with me. If I can get all of you to sign this thing with me, I guarantee we're going to have term limits. And And
1: I want to get into the weeds a little more on judges in a second, but I wanted to ask ask you this one. Uh, Since this is your wheelhouse, your platform was restoring constitutionally protected rights, especially the right of petition for redress of grievances. What other rights are you thinking of that need restoring besides petition? And can we not petition for grievances now? Isn't that standard uh, government 101 no. we cannot tell us about not being able to petition for grievances
2: so article 1 section 23 of the Constitution citizens have a right to apply to those invested with the powers of government for redress of grievance or for other proper purpose by address or remonstrance so I'm I'm the first person I mean literally I am the first person since the year 1850. To exercise that right to the legislative houses, 170 years. So let's start with that fact alone. The fact that I am the first person to exercise that right is proof that the right is oppressed. Would you disagree with that statement?
1: No, if uh, one in a million, uh, <laughs> one in four million.
2: I mean, if, you know, since the year 1850, and there have been hundreds of thousands of aggrieved citizens that didn't know how to uh, how to exercise that right or didn't know that they could exercise that right. It's because the right is oppressed. Now, when we look at it further, uh, have you seen the announcement of my remonstrance on the floor of the House?
1: Uh, restoring the right of remonstrance, January 18th, 2019. You became the first person since 1850 to have a remonstrance received and recorded in the journals of both houses of the Tennessee General Assembly your remonstrance literally shook the foundation of corruption nationwide and resulted in several corrupt judges being removed from office uh what what did you mean by then and 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 what when was it taken away
2: have you have you seen the video of that announcement
1: no i didn't know there was a video out there
2: yeah is am i able to share a screen on here
1: um I uh, that, no one's ever done that before, but we could try it.
2: All right. Yeah, I've got share screen. It's disabled uh, right now. If, if you can enable that. Um, let me see. But uh, if we can get this going, I'm going to show you. And and this is this is proof to the people, you know, watching this podcast, that we have we have a constitutional right to do that.
1: Article 123: Restoring justice to our courts by restoring accountability to our corrupt judiciary. That was your fourth pillar of your your campaign.
2: Yeah, I think there's down at the bottom of your screen. There's a if you mouse over the bottom of your screen, a menu should pop up, and I think you can enable share screen on there. There you go. All right, so
3: this is
0: on the floor of the Tennessee House. Next order, Mr. Clerk, petitions and memorials. Mr. Clerk?
3: Mr. Speaker, pursuant to Rule 15, we have a brief
0: statement regarding a petition over monstrance statement filed by Representative Holsey. It reads, I'm approaching the Tennessee House Chief Clerk on behalf of Mr. John Gentry with this petition and statement involves a petition of grievances, one, unconstitutional and void statutes, two, failure to address grievances, three, judicial reform, four, reinstitution of constitutionally guaranteed rights, signed Bud Halsey, Tennessee State Representative.
2: So that that video, were you able to see that and hear that okay? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's great, thank you.
2: Okay, so that's that was my first exercise of, of that right, I've done it twice now, and, and as a result of that 39 seconds in closed door proceedings, uh, they removed about uh, 12 or 14 judges uh, from the Tennessee Board of Judicial Conduct, like 14, about 14 corrupt judges removed from office. Wow. I mean, that, that, is, that is the power of the right of remonstrance. It is, it is the solution to corruption. Now, how that how that's being oppressed? I also filed uh, proposed articles of impeachment for three trial court judges and the entire Tennessee Court of Appeals, and they wouldn't even look at the at the evidence. They wouldn't even consider it. And I gave them seven hundred pages of appendix proof that these judges and appellate judges are corrupt. Like, I, but they won't even look at the evidence. So they're oppressing this right. You know, historically, I've gone down to the Tennessee Archives Library, and I've gone through the House Journals. And, and historically, you can see in the journals, you know, uh, Mr. McGahee presented a petition on behalf of Baptist McCombs, resolved. The petition was, was referred to the Propositions and Grievances Committee. And, and, you know, there's example after example in the early 1800 journals, our Tennessee House representatives that that these petitions were presented on the floor and then they were referred to committee for discussion and deliberation and then the committee would make a recommendation back to the body and they would say you know the committee on propositions and grievances uh, has recommended that the petition be denied or granted you know and they would they would vote and then the body would vote. Now imagine, imagine we get, we get 6.8 million Tennesseans to sign a remonstrance that we present to the General Assembly saying we're not asking. We're asserting constitutional rights that we want term limits. And that is, that is referred to the body and we provide them with statutory language to enact immediately as well as language to amend to the Tennessee constitution so that we can, we can enshrine term limits within our state constitution. And that, you know, that's a four year process for the constitutional amendment, but we give them, so then they take that and they go back to a special committee or, or you know, maybe to to a judiciary committee or something, and they go and talk about it and say, here's the language. And then that, that committee makes a recommendation to vote or, or to grant or deny this. Now here's, here's what I'm talking about, understanding the Constitution and how we as a people have a constitutional right to do this. <clears throat> and if I may, can I share the Tennessee Constitution with you? Sure. And show you exactly what I'm talking about here?
1: All you Rumble viewers are gonna get a treat here.
2: All right, so here's our here's our Tennessee Constitution. And in Article 1, Section 1, can you see this okay? Yes. Okay, Article 1, Section 1. All power is inherent in the people. All three governments, sound and on authority, institute for peace, safety, and happiness. For the advancement of those ends, they have at all times, an unalienable, indefeasible right to alter, reform, or abolish government in such manner as they may think proper. Now, alter our form of government, that's, that's what term limits are. That's altering our form of government. Reform is like we have judges holding prohibited offices in violation of the Constitution. We need to reform that. What they meant by abolish, you know, that's not take, all that means is to take that Constitution and tear it up and start over. Because when you abolish government, what you do is you tear up the paper and say, because this paper, this Constitution, creates government. It establishes right here in the preamble, right above. uh, We the delegates and representatives of the people of Tennessee, uh, duly elected in convention assembled, have ordained and established the following Constitution and form of government for this state, which we recommend to the people for their ratification. This this Constitution created our form of government, and it's ratified by the people, and the people can start over and tear this thing up. I don't recommend that, but I, I recommend some amendments like term limits and some other things. Now, let's go on.
1: We certainly wouldn't want to tear it up because, if I'm not mistaken, Thomas Jefferson himself said this was the best Constitution of all the ones that existed, and it wasn't even a state yet.
2: Well, exactly, you're exactly right. Thomas Jefferson said it's the least imperfect and the most Republican. And it's our our Tennessee Constitution, that's why I say Tennessee is going to be ground zero for reform of our government, because our rights, our power are best protected in, in layman's terms that everybody can understand. You know, this Constitution, this is very plain language compared to the ones that were written by lawyers in the New England states. You know, our constitution is very easy to understand.
1: So let me ask you a couple more questions. I I don't want to run out of time with you because it's fascinating. We'll get back to all your points, I'm sure. But we do have five justices of the Supreme Court that are seated in Knoxville. Not Nashville, the capital. I find that interesting. Sharon Lee, Jeff Bivens, Holly Kirby, Roger Page is the chief justice. He replaced Bivens as chief from 2016. Uh, And... I guess until recently and Sarah Campbell was put there after Cornelia Clark died uh all their terms are they uh, they go until 2030. So they guess they do have term limits, but it's a long time. Um are they corrupt? Are those five people corrupt?
2: Absolutely, and I can prove it. So I just had a case to that I presented to the Tennessee Supreme Court and I asked the just I asked all all five justices to recuse pursuant to uh, Article Article 6, Section 11, which says, no judge or justice shall, shall preside over any case in which they have an interest without consent of all the parties. And if all of the justices have an interest, then they shall certify the same to the governor who shall appoint a number of men of law knowledge. So I wanted all of the justices to recuse from the Tennessee, from the Tennessee Supreme Court, and I wanted the governor to give me a special Supreme Court, and so I filed a motion to disqualify them. Now, the the, the process for that is in Tennessee Supreme Court Rule 10b. That's how you ask justices or judges to recuse. Now, under Section 3.0, Rule 10b, Section 3.03, if the motion is denied. Uh, the the judges shall state grounds as the basis for denial. So the legal definition of grounds, it's the legal argument or supporting authority as basis for their decision. So I said they're constitutionally incompetent because Justice Page and Justice Pivens are holding seats in the Tennessee Code Commission. And those seats are expressly prohibited in Article 6, Section 6 and in in addition to being, or Article 6, Section 7, and in addition to that, the Code Commission has statutory power to prepare and present bills. That's a gross violation of Article 2 separation of powers, as well as they have statutory power to edit the actual acts of the General Assembly. So they can change one letter and say, oh, we were fixing a typo, but they can change the meaning of the law by changing one letter. And so I said, you're, you're constitutionally incompetent because you're, you've, you've been conferred a hereditary emolument in violation of Article 1, Section 30, and you're holding prohibited offices. You're constitutionally incompetent. And if you're incompetent on these provisions, how can you be competent on the rights in Article One, Section 23, and Article 11, Section 16 that are at the heart of this matter. How can you be incompetent on one part and incompetent on another? And so I ask you to recuse. And so their their order, I have it sitting behind me, There and I can show it to you on the court website. They just said, we have determined that you have not shown us to be constitutionally incompetent. That's it. One single sentence. No legal argument, no grounds. So the Tennessee Supreme Court violated their own rules. Tennessee Supreme Court Rule 10B. They violated their own rules and refused to disqualify. And they're in treason to the Constitution because the Constitution says no judge shall preside over any case in which they have an interest. And they have an interest to oppress the right of remonstrance because it is the solution to judicial corruption. And they didn't say we don't have an interest in that. So I will say it publicly. And I am asserting my right in Article 1, Section 19 of every citizen to have, that the the press is free to every citizen to examine the proceedings of any branch or any officer. And I will state publicly that the justices of the Tennessee Supreme Court are, in my strong opinion, corrupt. And the corruption that is going through our legislative houses and the corruption that is going through our courts is because our Tennessee Supreme Court is not doing their job. They're corrupt. They refuse to hear cases when they should, and they hear cases when they don't have jurisdiction over these cases. They are absolutely corrupt.
1: A few years ago, uh, the three female justices and past justices like Judge Daughtry the first woman on the Tennessee Supreme Court were at Lipscomb University and said, "As young women, most of the justices had never seen a female lawyer or judge and had trouble imagining a career in law." 1975. Uh, do you think Tennessee makes it especially hard for women to be judges?
2: No, I think we have we have a lot of female judges around the state. It's
1: strange that they said that, isn't it?
2: You know, I, I don't think that that it is difficult at all. I mean you just got to run for office. I was just, I've, I've had three cases in front of female judges. So, you know, I think they're quite, I've had, in fact, I've had more cases in front of female judges than male judges. So no, I think that's, that's not, not to me. It doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. That's why I pulled it out because they said it publicly at, belmont and and or not lipscomb and i said to myself huh that doesn't sound right so i wanted to ask you since you've been around a lot longer it sounds um, sounds
2: like divisive language of the left to me
1: i also find it interesting in tennessee the court picks the attorney general and the governor picks just about all other cabinet members like health and education which for some reason he chooses from out of the state whereas scarmetti is from here which is nice what do you think of ag scarmetti and, and the job he's doing
2: well, the entire office of attorney general is also corrupt, and and that and that is easily proven as well. Uh, in my first case against the speakers and clerks of both houses, Deputy Attorney General Klein Salter uh, tendered falsified evidence to the court. I have I have a certified copy, where uh, I I I was suing the speakers and clerks of both houses because I have a right to address them, and I asserted that right. And, uh, but I didn't, uh, you know, as evidence, I, and I intentionally didn't do this. I didn't file a copy of my remonstrance when I filed my complaint in court. I just said, I filed one. Well, Kleinfelter, this is Deputy Attorney General Kleinfelter, She is the second highest attorney in the state, right under the attorney general. So uh, she, she filed and said, attached as an exhibit, is a full copy of Mr. Gentry's petition. Now that document, I have a court certified copy got of it. It, got it. She literally changed my language. In the, in the jurisdictional statement, I said, this document is a formal written protest and public petition. She literally changed it and said, this is a complaint. I said, this is a constitutionally guaranteed right under the constitution of the United States and the constitution of the state of Tennessee. And she said, this is a constitutionally guaranteed as of right. And as of right is a legal term, meaning it's discretionary. Rights are not discretionary. I mean, she literally changed the words of my document. I called them out in court and I have transcripts to prove this where I, I put that document up on the projector, put it side by side next to the true legal document that was filed with the General Assembly. And I'm saying she falsified this evidence. And and then Kleinfelter said, well, it wasn't me, it was the defendants. The defendants are the speaker and clerks of both houses in this case. And and the, the, the judge wouldn't do anything. I did a motion to sanction, I did a motion to discipline attorney misconduct. and the the judge wouldn't do anything. I did the same thing in the court of appeals. And they all looked the other way and said, it's okay that a deputy attorney general tendered falsified evidence to a court of law or a court of equity in this case. And I took it to the Supreme Court and they ignored it too. They said, we don't care that we have either defendant clerks and speakers or we have a deputy attorney general that has falsified evidence, nobody cares. And, you you know, this is the kind of stuff that that is happening to litigants across this state every day. There's no accountability of state officials. And if you put me in office.
1: You're a licensed CPA for more than 20 years and proficient in forensic accounting, which I know all about. I have a good friend who does that. And you said you'd use your extensive experience to root out fraud, waste, and abuse in our state budget. Where would you where would you start?
2: In the judiciary, <laughs> uh, you know. For for example, you know, for example, uh, starting in, in, actually prior back to 1950, courthouse security was not necessary. They didn't have courthouse security, and the reason for that is because our courts were mostly fair. You, you generally went in there and you got a fair shake. Now. As the courts became more and more corrupt, they started adding courthouse security. You know, one thing they had in the last budget I looked at, they had a million dollars to study how to improve courthouse security. I can tell you the best way to 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 ensure courthouse security is to render fair decision. That you don't have to worry about vigilante justice. That if you have fair courts. Uh, then you're not going to have to worry about somebody that's so upset they're going to try to come in there and shoot judge. Which, by the way, it's not reported very much, but it's actually quite a big problem that we have that that there's nowhere to get justice because this right of remonstrance is oppressed and and because judges protect judges and agencies like the Board of Judicial Misconduct dismiss 100% of complaints against judges, there's nowhere to go. So people take up arms. And, you know, they have shootouts on courthouse steps, inside of courthouse buildings. And it's and it's because the right of remonstrance is oppressed. I mean,
1: you know, so you wanted to uh, put a stop to corrupt pretending, pretended legislation. That's the key word, pretended legislation from being enacted into law. I've heard since I've been here, a lot of the left usually say Tennessee legislature doesn't pass laws. They pass lawsuits everything has to be litigated when they get it done politics has certainly become a game of lawfare everywhere. Uh, I think maybe because of the Rose law firm back in the Clinton days, this has all just been uh, blown up and it's become like warfare, but lawfare over the last 40 years, what pretend legislation do you dislike the most?
2: Well, you know, you, you actually hit on it. It's, it's not, uh, uh, and and say that again for me because I really liked it. It's, it's pretend
1: not, legislation.
2: But you said it's lawsuit legislation. Lawfare,
1: right? lawfare, like warfare only lawfare.
2: And and so here's it right because everything has to be litigated. So first of all, when you have to litigate things like that, the legislation is void from thankness. So it you know the law has to be clear. You know and especially when we're talking about criminal law, you know. A man ought to know what a man ought not do, but you go read these laws and you're like, I don't even know what they're talking about. On top of the fact that there's mounds and mounds of this pretended legislation. So what what the legal profession is doing through the legislative houses is they're creating torts. This is exactly the same thing as a business introducing a new product line. You make something illegal. Or you have some legislation, like, like, for example, I'll give you an example out of, out of California. Um, they have a five-hour meal break law in California. If an employee doesn't take a meal break within five hours, then then not only you, 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 the meal break would be for a half hour, but the employer has to pay them for a full hour. It's one of the most, it, it has caused more litigation in the state of California, because, and I can tell you, employees weren't complaining about being hungry in five hours you know this was billy bob attorney with joe bob legislator getting together saying how can we make more money and so they legislate like that and and say you know employees have to have a meal break and then they go around and the attorneys put flyers on windshield under under windshield wipers and they say hey you know did you not get your meal break in five hours and pretty soon you get a disgruntled employee they got fired and they take that flyer and they go they go sue the employer so what they're doing is, is basically it's introducing a new product line, a new revenue stream for the legal profession, and so this is this is an incredible problem that we have in the Tennessee legislature. Now, you know, to understand that you pretty much have to be an attorney, you know, to understand what's you know how to how to decipher through all of this. Well, I am a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a licensed attorney. But as a forensic accountant, I am, I am an expert at reading through the fine print and finding out and saying, this is why and this is where this legislation is corrupt. And so I get in office, I'm going to expose that corruption. I do it, I expose it as a citizen, but I'm going to put it in their face in committee hearings and say, here's what's going on, my, my fellow colleagues, and are we going to put up with this? And I think right. well, I got
1: I got about I got about 5 minutes left and I really want to get through a lot of this. Unfortunately, I um it's so fascinating that it's probably worth two episodes if you're willing to come back sometime, but in the meantime, most of the things right now in the news that President Trump is now in being indicted for for the fourth time or 100th count or whatever it is, used to be just normal politics, the way I read it. Everything from asking for a phone number to to whatever. Do you think Governor Lee has engaged in any of the same stuff Trump is being prosecuted for and and should be on the lookout?
2: No, I don't, think, I don't think Lee has engaged in anything that, that, you know, where he's going to be prosecuted for. But, you know, Rhino Lee, he's a liar. You know, we, we look at uh, his 10 for 10, you know, when he was campaigning back in his first election, one of those was term limits. We haven't heard a thing out of him about term limits. He's a liar. And, and he's a rhino, he's in the pocket of the entrenched establishment. I think he's, I think Lee is probably a pretty good guy but he's, he, just had, he is out of his depth. He doesn't understand. He's just listening to lying attorneys. You know, as an example, he, he appointed a, a former judge from, from the Court of Appeals and the Board of Judicial Conduct. I'm telling you, if you're appointing a former Board of Judicial Conduct judge, you're being influenced. I can guarantee you, Lee didn't know that judge. Somebody just told him it'd be a good idea to take this corrupt judge. It's his number one person in his cabinet. It's his number one chief of cabinet that he appointed as corrupt. So I think Lee is Lee is just a wacky uh for, for the corrupt establishment. I think mean, he's in way over his head and doesn't have a clue. He doesn't understand the corruption, you know, the way that I do. Now, you know, when we talk about how did
1: how did how did the Tennessee GOP support you last time?
2: Well, they put him on the party ticket.
1: No, you. When you were running, how did they support you?
2: Well, the GOP despises me because I exposed the corruption, and they won't give me any support. And just like they did to Curtis Carney, I'm quite certain that they would remove me from the Republican Party ticket. And then, because of statutory law, then you're off the ballot completely. It's why I run as as an independent. But I have, you know, conservatives like um, Brandon Lewis, Tennessee conservative. He stood up, and said, "I'm voting for John Gentry," you know. Uh, so there are, you know, conservatives that are standing up for me. The GOP—they don't like me, and I don't like them. You know, how would
1: you, I mean, how would you run differently next time?
2: I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the same thing that I did before. I'm not going to run differently. Uh, you know, I've been thinking long and hard. You know, I'm running for state house right now, and you know, I, I'm sure I would win if I ran as a Republican. And, but I don't know that I'm not gonna get kicked off the ballot. But you know, George, George Washington, please go back and read his farewell address. He said, let me give you the most solemn warning of, of party affiliation. He said, it's going to cause false alarms, like the pandemic. It's going to cause division, at times insurrection and, and riots. So everything that is happening today, George Washington warned us about in his farewell address. And so I'm not going to run on the party ticket just so I can win. It's against my moral standards. And so right. I'm going to run as an independent candidate.
1: You so know, in, in, in Article 11... It is extremely difficult to amend our state constitution, which is why ours has remained mostly intact, like we talked about. The last election, there were four amendments to the Constitution. Did you like how that went down? Was that the voice of the people?
2: No, that is absolutely unconstitutional and repugnant to the Tennessee Constitution. Here's why. Uh, in, in Article 11, I believe it's Section 3, is how our Constitution used to be amended. Uh, prior to 1953, there were six attempts to amend our Constitution. They all failed. In 1953, they, they suckered the people into a Constitutional Convention, and they changed how the Constitution is amended. And, and, and what happens now, the new process from 1953, is that uh, one General Assembly can recommend and, and approve an, an, an amendment to the Constitution. But it has to go to a second general assembly. Now here's, here's what they did that was smart is they said before it goes six months before the election of the Second General Assembly, it has to be published. And what does published mean? It means Black's Law Dictionary to make known to the public in general. And that those four amendments were not made public to the people six months prior to the election. They were not made public at all. I stood in line in Sumner County and they're handing out pieces of paper saying here are the constitutional amendments and people are reading like, what is this? I didn't even know about this. The people in general did not know because they were not published. And I went back and read uh, the, the 1870 constitutional convention proceedings and debates. And in 1870 they recommended that it be published in two ma- newspapers in every major city as well as one newspaper in every county and that lost by a 3% margin and so what they did is they wanted to they wanted to print 75,000 copies and they said no and then they said 50,000 copies and they agreed on it they printed 50,000 copies of the constitution that were dis- distributed to the members of the house to take back to their constituents so they could read whether or not to vote in favor or against the Tennessee 1870 Tennessee constitution. They don't do that. And let me tell you the other trick. Okay, was- wait, I, got,
1: I only have time for one more question. I really wanna get it <laughs> out there. Um, so our Tennessee General Assembly Has an average proposal of fifteen hundred bills, and they pass about a thousand pieces of legislation every year, year over year. That's a lot of laws for a state that did pretty well without new ones for two hundred and twenty-seven years. Would you, as governor, want to stop that? And does the governor have the power to stop that? And then they got to let you go.
2: Absolutely. So what I what I if I would I'm running for Tennessee House right now, but that as governor. I would veto every single piece of legislation that looked corrupt to me, which is which is 99% of it. I would veto it. They, now I, they have to reconvene to pass that. I would create a bottleneck for them because they would have to keep coming back and voting for everything that they just passed before. On top of that, I would go out to the people and say, "Here's why I vetoed this." And I want you to call your senator, call your representative, and tell them not to override Gentry's veto. And I will shut down at least 50% of that garbage pretended legislation coming out of those corrupt houses.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, we are at the end here, so tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, any of your social media, any of your upcoming speaking engagements, websites, anything you want to tell them, shoot
2: sure well, easiest way just google john gentry tennessee and and you'll find me my website's we the people v is in victor five zero we the people thought v five zero dot com and if you look for john gentry on facebook i write a lot of essays i do i expose a lot of the corruption in essays and articles that i that i put on my facebook page as well as i do a lot of educational video work uh, on my facebook page and my youtube channel you can go, you can witness me fighting in the courts, fighting in the legislative houses, and, and you can understand my passion and my commitment to this site, and you'll know that I'm real. Like you certainly others.
1: have all of that. I live across the street, or at least a stone's throw away from Gentry Farms. Any relation?
2: Well, my fifth great-grandfather, uh, Jesse Gentry, was a, was a Tennessee pioneer. His father, Robert Gentry, uh, was a Tennessee pioneer, the Gentries were were one of the first to settle in East Tennessee. And so there's a lot of Gentries in Tennessee. And I, I expect that I'm not personally, you know, closely related, but that's why there are a lot of Gentries in Tennessee because of, of Robert and his son, Gentry, and they had a lot of kids.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again. Really appreciate you. Hope to have you on again sometime and good luck with your congressional race.
2: Yeah, thank you. And and you're welcome to have me back on here. Great questions. And and I, you know, I appreciate, you know, strong questions and, and, and getting to the heart of the matter. And I think you guys do that. And I commend you on the work that you're doing. And you're welcome to have me back anytime. I would be grateful for
1: it. Awesome. You can handle it. Okay. Be well. If you're like me and sick of the woke, unfunny content coming out of Hollywood these days, and looking for something new and exciting, I found the website for you: movienight.com. The folks at movienight.com—that's movienight, one word—dot com has the first universal loyalty program that offers businesses like yours the opportunity to attract customers with their exclusive lineup of world-class titles, titles like Daddy Daughter Trip with Rob Schneider, Triumph with Terrence Howard, and Nefarious, last year's blockbuster hit. Movie Night was founded to positively impact society through media. Check it out at movienight.com and enjoy the show.
0: I don't understand how you ever did without me. I don't understand how I bring you down to your
1: knees. I'm kind of blown away from that. As a matter of fact, but uh, welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show where we cover what we just heard. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, John Gentry?
0: Episode 127, it took that long, a needle in a haystack to find an amazing man. Steve, we need a thousandfold, 10,000 folds of John Gentry. We need this man. We need to take what he's taking and educate all of our people. Because I'm like, okay, does every state have similar written information in it? I bet it does, and they it do? can be used. So we saw all these lawsuits during the COVID thing. Remember all the lawsuits went out there, and they were using AGs and stuff, and the AGs sat on it. They didn't do nothing because they're corrupt, corrupt to yeah. the core. And if yeah. we have an appeals, now, of course, in Washington State, they closed off the, the – the, 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 most states closed their house. Of representatives or Congress, Mm -hmm. you couldn't even go in there. You couldn't even the courthouses, yeah, because they knew that I could come in there and I could complain, and they shut it down. That's how you knew that this was all corrupt. It had nothing to do with what they were telling us. And so I'm going to take John. I'm going to look at my Washington State Constitution. I'm going to look all these
1: things up, and. Mm -hmm. And they're usually three, four pages long. It's not like it's an encyclopedia. The the case laws is, but that's because they've packed it all in so you don't understand it. So there I was listening to Mill Creek View, Florida podcast on my daily Caroline the Dog Walk um, on maybe the most gorgeous day of the summer, at least so far. Uh, very good show about the Supreme Court, uh, by the way. And I heard you quote proverbs during the cat and producer Steve segment in the litter box, she calls it. Proverbs 24, blessing the wicked and cursing the righteous. What did you mean by that?
0: That is dealing with the whole judiciary system. If you take that in a context, Proverbs talks about judges, talks about rulers. And what it is, is that corrupt rulers bless the wicked and they curse the righteous. So those, there's also another passage that says, when the r- wicked rise to power, the, the, the righteous are, are cowering. When the righteous rise to power, the the wicked cower. And so what happens is these are corrupt. It's saying when there's corrupt people in there, they cater to their own corrupt people. And Sounds you know, familiar, right? Didn't we just have a whole show based on that? what I am saying. This is- so
1: she interviewed an Epoch Times reporter, Matt Vadum. Yes. I interviewed an Epoch Times truthful reporter too, Jackson Elliott, uh, they both play pretty well into John's topic of discussion, doesn't it, about First Amendment freedom of speech and to redress your government. We also had Simon Atiba from Africa Today and Monica Page from One America News. Both are White House correspondents, but he lost his credentials for getting in a shouting match with press secretary first and second. And Monica is having a very hard time, I don't know if I've told you this, Getting just getting her first one. Uh, She moved all the way from San Diego to D.C. So much of journalistic integrity is at stake here, not just um, where we're talking about the Epoch Times, but the White House and transparency. So moving on, they lost their smiles. A mother of triplets, heartbreaking story, all three of Brenda McDowell's triplets, she attests, shut down within hours of each other after receiving their routine pneumonococcal vaccines later to be diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Claire, she had full-blown eye contact. She was super lovely and she shut right down. Richie, all his raspberry blowing and the furniture walking just shut off. Robbie, Robbie looked like he was hit by a bus. Robbie, from that moment on, had a stunned look on his face. If you asked or said his name, he still acted deaf and acted like he couldn't hear. The odds of three babies of the same age mother, father having autism is astronomical. Let's listen to clip number one.
4: Every day in our life was a party. Every single day they were holding hands and smiling and laughing and looking at each other, engaging in each other. And we brought them in at nine months and four days to do, we were doing one vaccine at a time. On June 25th, 2007 we brought him in for the pneumococcal shot so just that shot one shot my daughter still has the mark on her leg from the shot she was the first one to get it and she screamed and never really stopped screaming after that but we continued we didn't know we did the boys as well by noon Claire shut completely off Claire Claire our daughter shut off first Um, it was as if she was blind and deaf and um complete Uh, Failure to thrive from super, super happy, smiley girl to, um, this is a picture of her. She had full-blown eye contact. She was super lovely and um, she shut right down. And all she did at that moment was stare at the ceiling fan. So that was at noon. We had the shot at 10 a.m. 2 o'clock, we watched Richie shut off. All his raspberry blowing and mama dada and the furniture walking and everything, just they just shut off. All the giggles, um, all the smiles, it, again, failure to thrive. Um, they lost all their reflexes. Um, I'm an educational audiologist. I actually did the test for the stapedial reflex, which is a little muscle in the middle ear, just to see if a muscle they can't control was still working, and it, it didn't. Um, the stapedial re- reflex dampens sound so your ears don't hurt from a really loud sound and both of them had no stapedial reflex they stopped blinking stop yawning stopped coughing stopped sneezing uh, you could go towards their eyes and they wouldn't even phase nothing would phase them they lost their startle reflex um, I threw um, a telephone book on the floor behind them and no startle nobody even looked to see what it was Um, but, uh, so that was two o'clock. We watched Richie shut down and I couldn't breathe. But the, (laughs) here we go. The worst is when we saw the final one shut down. Robbie looked like he was hit by a bus. Um, Robbie from that moment on had a stunned look on his face. Uh, If you asked or said his name, he still acted deaf and, and acted like he couldn't hear. Although they did have normal hearing. I had it all tested. But um he lost his happiness. This is a first um, first year picture first birthday
3: three months after the shot.
4: three months after the shot they were no longer engaged in anything or anyone. They lost their smiles they they just were um in their own little separate worlds. They never held hands again they never looked at each other again
0: Steve. Uh... We, I, I, on the flame, we talked to uh, Reverend William Cook of the Black Road Regiment, and uh, he said, we're in a kinetic war. You know what a kinetic war is, right? Mm -hmm. The The kinetic war is injections, vaccines. It's been going on for decades. The people at the top know damn well what they're doing. They should go to hell and burn a million times over, and we are so ignorant because we've been so dumbed down and duped thinking that this is that this is what we have to do to protect ourselves when in reality we poison ourselves and this this is steve they spent
1: they spent 50 million dollars on the it's up to you covid19 ad campaigns they were wrong they lied they lied uh you it's easy now to see that they lied and misled the public into thinking the covid vaccines would stop the spread but back then most were supportive of these efforts uh check
3: see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you.
0: They're all getting fake vaccines and they have millions of people's blood on their hands, each one of those guys.
1: Allegedly. People bought into ads like these without hesitation. Scary. Scary. Uh, Never forget these. The narratives of the COVID mRNA vaccine is likely the greatest medical deception we will witness in our lifetimes. Until the next one. Uh, Clip number three, please
3: is to stop the transmission so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. Expectation for vaccines is not to get infected. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. When the virus gets to you, you stop it. You're not going to catch it. You're not going to get sick. You're not going to transmit it. The vaccine is absolutely bulletproof. Vaccines block you from getting and giving the
1: virus. 100% effective at preventing COVID. Vaccine prevents you from
3: getting infected. It is to
1: keep you from getting it and then spreading it. We have the ability to stop COVID in its tracks.
3: You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Biden tests positive for COVID-19. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. Dr Fauci tests positive for COVID-19. When
4: vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get
1: sick. CDC director tests positive for COVID-19.
4: Get
0: your vaccine. <laughs> Pfizer
1: CEO tests positive for COVID. Pfizer CEO tests positive for COVID again. CDC director tests positive for
3: COVID again. Fauci tests positive for COVID again. Joe Biden in test positive for COVID again.
4: Cases up 258%. The majority of these cases are among the vaccinated. And this area is the most vaccinated part of Massachusetts.
3: So many fully vaccinated people are testing positive. So
4: people here are a bit angry.
3: We are all really concerned about what this means long term. I was vaccinated and I got COVID. And <laughs> almost everyone we know with vaccinations had at least one bout of it. Uh, our vaccines work better. Uh, than we could have possibly uh, hoped they would work we are not the problem the problem are the unvaccinated the unvaccinated threat unvaccinated people are a threat a direct threat a threat
1: to all of us the
3: unvaccinated are a risk to all of us people have a
0: right to be
4: protected from the unvaccinated
1: maybe there should be laws that allow them to be kept out of the building so at least thankfully they're not breathing the same area. their freedom to breathe will diminish start firing the unvaccinated if you don't vaccinate you'll be fired time
3: to come down
1: On the unvaccinated. They
3: should be banned from the VA, banned from restaurants, banned from other businesses and colleges. Companies should not treat us as equals. Placed unvaccinated people under
0: a. I think, was that Geraldo Rivera? Geraldo Rivera, the guy with the big mustache.
1: Yeah, he's been fired from Fox uh, lately. Um, All right, moving on. I think I made the point. Twitter censored the President of the United States on January 6th. Never forget, Governor. four.
3: I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election and everyone knows it, especially the other side, but you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace.
1: Not exactly the leader of a insurrection telling everyone to go home, but moving on. Here is the CEO of Harry's Razors. He calls dad's non-birthing parents and mom's birthing parents. He says the company is socially minded. Let's hear him created a really sort of unbalanced dynamic um, and made the co-parenting thing really hard to actually live in practice. Um, and so, you know, that experience, you know, was, was one that led us to this conclusion that, hey, we need not just a general parental leave policy, but an equal parental leave policy um, that treats birthing and non-birthing parents equally. Um, so we implemented that and give everybody four months regardless of whether you're the birthing parent or the non-birthing parent. I would call that pandering lunacy. <laughs> Do you know who Bo Snurdly is?
0: Oh yeah, he was the uh, he was the producer of the famous El Rush
1: James Golden, also known by his pseudonym Bo Snurdly, is a talk radio producer, call screener, and radio host. Best known for working 30 years with the Rush Limbaugh show since 2001, he has been a producer executive for Premier Networks, the largest radio syndication company in the United States. He currently hosts an afternoon drive-time radio program and WABC New York. He has a website, and I got this, by Benjamin Paris from there. Furthermore, the Biden administration completely failed to account for the costs of the wage increases needed to close these gaps if its rule goes into effect. Simple back-of-the-envelope calculations show that if just 10% of the nominal gender pay gap were closed, it would cost four hundred and twenty million dollars annually to fully close the apparent federal gender gap pay would take a whopping four point two billion dollars in additional federal spending each year. OPM, however, accounts for none of this cost, despite claiming that the proposal will reduce the nominal gender pay cap. The alleged pay gap by race would be expensive to close as well. Closing just 10% of the gap would cost an estimated $148 million annually, with its total elimination estimated at $570 million each year. That means that if the Biden administration were to fully implement the policy, taxpayers would be on the hook for over $5.7 billion every year. By the way, we're in debt a trillion dollars of interest per year starting this year. In addition to the harm it would pose to potential job seekers and the loss of even more efficiency in government by hiring less qualified employees, none of that expense was included in the OPM's cost estimate, Office of Public Management. The administration has completely failed to seriously account for all these impacts, its proposal instead attempts to ignore merit by preventing federal agencies from fairly compensating high performing employees. The belief belies the administration's true conviction that merit and ability should be put aside or ignored in favor of prioritizing equity and diversity this is a pernicious line of logic that betrays the obligations of the government to its constituents taxpayer dollars spent paying federal employees should be allocated based on paying attention to merit not on blindness to it we were warned i just want to throw that out there by the way so but we were warned here's some quotes And I'll have more quotes later. They're coming after Trump and us. Any Republican now promoting rejection of an election or calling not to follow the will of voters or making baseless allegations of fraud should never serve an office, join a corporate board, find a faculty position, or be accepted into polite society. We have a list. Jennifer Rubin, The Washington Post, (laughs) a reporter talking about limiting speech. When this nightmare is over, we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It would name every official, politician, executive, and media mogul whose greed and cowardice enabled this catastrophe. Robert Reich, former Labor Department secretary to President Clinton and advisor to President Obama. This most humane and reasonable way to deal with all these people, if we survive this, is some kind of Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Chris Hayes, MSNBC host. Another freedom of speech advocate, apparently. So let us brace ourselves. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators, that's you and me, must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society. The fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Remember... The fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. Keith Olbermann, former ESPN and MSNBC commentator. Go to hell, Keith Olbermann. Yes. And stay tuned for my last thoughts of the week. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast simply and naturally without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof, look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know, I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. My name is Simon Ateba with Today News Africa in Washington, D.C. I'm the White House correspondent for Today News Africa, and you are listening to the Meal Creek View podcast. I'm going to need a nap after this Welcome to my quotes for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to go to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast so you don't miss any of this amazing content that we're putting out. That's Tennessee, Washington, and now Florida. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and hit the subscribe button on all three of them, and you won't miss anything. Be sure to check out our new business show on YouTube and Instagram, the CEO special where I interview great business folks doing good business. New episodes every Monday at 9 a.m. Central Time, 10 a.m. Eastern. I really hope you like them. To announce that there must be no criticism of the president or that we are to stand by the president, right or wrong, is not only unpatriotic and servile, but is morally treasonable to the American public. Theodore Roosevelt. If freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent, we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. George Washington. Once a government is committed to the principles of silencing the voice of opposition, it has only one way to go, and that is down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens and creates a country where everyone lives in fear. Special message to the Congress of the Internal Security of the United States, August eighth, 1950, Harry S. Truman, you know, the one who dropped the bomb in Hiroshima. Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. Benjamin Franklin, he knew way back when. There are more instances of the Abridgment of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. James Madison. That's it for this episode. Thank you for having the guts, John Gentry, to throw your hat into the ring and run to fix what we see is broken. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us, Peace in our time and G2G.